welcome 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 to the nintendo watcher podcast i'm justin here with matthew pilkington crockemeyer rock himself hey matthew hey how's it going justin hopefully uh hopefully everything's going all right over there halloween right around the corner big news on the horizon got a lot to talk about today got a lot to talk about so let's hop right in with the news roundup so november looks to be a month full of remakes we've got the gta trilogy star wars knights of the old republic pokemon brilliant diamond shining pearl what do you make of all these remakes coming out for the the switch all around the same time i'm excited about it um i think that you know one of the nicest uh, additions here is that that gta collection i think uh you know, it's it's a good it's a good sign that they're making it, you know, their way over to Nintendo's hardware. Um I'm a big fan of of that trilogy. I like those games a lot. Um, you know, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic is an all time classic, worth absolutely double dipping if you've played it before. And then uh I don't think too many people need convincing. I know you're pretty excited about uh, Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl, is that is that uh fair to say? I picked up most of the Pokemon games during the pandemic and I barely remember going through some of them just because I was I was in a mad rush to get through as many as yeah. I possibly could trying to fill up my uh my, my living decks in Pokemon <laughs> home um I don't remember much from from that generation other than oh wow there are no fire type Pokemon in this game outside of the starter is that so? I've it's been ages since I've played Diamond and Pearl. I barely remember them either. Um, Not literally. I think there might yeah. be four. Oh wow! <laughs> that that's, you can catch in the wild. It's it's nuts. That's disappointing. Uh, like the Pokemon games have always been a fascinating uh, kind of experience for me. I've never. Have you ever done the like you you mentioned putting together the the decks, trying to get the living decks filled out and things like that? Were you? the kind of Pokemon player that would, uh, you know, get both versions or were you just like a solo, uh, you know, one version and done during each generation? I was one version and done. And I mean, thinking back when I was playing Pokemon, I, I had the blue version. That was the, the first version that was mine. And I got silver after that. And I'd never got gen three. I was, I was yeah. sort of out of it. And then I didn't think, <laughs> I didn't pick any up until, um, well, it, it might have been uh, Sword and Shield. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I missed pretty much every generation after Blue until uh, the DS, uh, the 3DS. Once the 3DS came out, um, you know, I picked up, I think, Black and White, X and Y, um, and then Sword and Shield. But I missed like two or three generations of games in there myself. I, always been a fan of them but like i did like i said i never owned uh some of the nintendo handhelds to be uh you know perfectly transparent so uh for me uh brilliant diamond and shining pro i'm actually excited about since i missed them on the initial run through it'll be kind of cool to play them so you're, you're getting them i think so i'm not sure which of the two i'm gonna go with um I'm i was gonna... about to say we should probably coordinate that yeah yeah we should talk about that kind of like with sword and shield we'll 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 get together we'll collab and make sure that we uh can can swap uh uniques for for that generation that should be good be a good thing to get through 
but yeah, just in general, exciting for for a bunch of remakes in November. I'm a little disappointed in some of the new stuff coming to the Switch. You know, through the end of the year, it looks like 22 is going to be you know just bonkers. But yeah. the rest of 21, uh, you know, we've got these remakes. Um, we've got the new Mario Party coming out um, at the end of this week. But am I forgetting something? What else? Not that I can think of. And I'm actually, you know, uh, I'm pretty excited that there's a nice little lull. I know that's not, you know, for people that only own, uh, you know, a Nintendo consoles or something like that, it can be, uh, the drought can be pretty bad. But with all the, you know, with the Animal Crossing stuff coming out, with the, you know, the like you said, uh, the new Pokemon that's going to keep people occupied for a while. I think Mario Party is going to get some legs on it, but um, it'll be a nice time to catch up. Uh, I've got a lot, large backlog of indie games on the Switch already that I need to get through, um, so I'm kind of happy for the breather. I think it's gonna, it's sort of needed right now. I don't think we need uh, a huge push into the holiday season this year. Yeah, you still have to get through Eastward so we can yeah, talk about it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's It's on the agenda. It's I've got it queued up. I just haven't had a chance to jump into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next thing on the list is, Matthew, there are some reports that Nintendo 64 <laughs> on the Nintendo Switch Online service isn't that great. Not looking hot. Not looking hot. I think, um, you know, I, I we talked about this. I am not picking it up. I, I'm not quite yet persuaded that I need it. Um, I just, one, don't have time to play some of the ones, you know, don't have time to revisit most of those games right now. But, um, yeah, I'm hearing issues with frame rates, with, uh, you know, uh, network lag. Um, and just like poor graphic emulation on a lot of games. Some, some people are saying these are the worst looking versions of, uh, you know, Ocarina of Time in particular has been, um, critiqued as being probably the, the ugliest version of that game, um, which is disappointing. Um, have you checked it out yet? Have you grabbed your, your update yet? Yeah, I updated, but I've only been playing the, the Genesis games so nice. far. Uh, I started playing, um. Fantasy Star 4. Oh, that's a good one. That's a fun game. I never really got into it, but yeah, um, I, I, I saw this side-by-side, I think it was from Nintendo Life, of Ocarina of Time, um, the Wii U version versus Nintendo Switch Online, and the Nintendo Switch Online version was much brighter. Um, yeah. Just color-wise looked better, but there's some issues with the transparencies. So in the Water Temple level where you're about to fight... Um, dark link for the first time in the original and in the wii u emulated version you can see through the water and (laughs) (laughs) you know it looks like water yeah and in the the nintendo switch online version it just looks like a bunch of like a sea of polygons it's It's disappointing it doesn't look good. Yeah, I'm not. I, you know, I, I take everything that I see online with this kind of stuff with a grain of salt uh, until I've had hands on with it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to jump to too many conclusions. It's easy to, you know, screenshot something uh, out of context to, you know, the input lag stuff absolutely could be a problem, you know, but I want to experience it myself. I've heard conflicting reports on, on things like input lag and network lag and stuff like that, that, you know, for people with a stable connection and uh, you know good functioning peripherals, it's not as big of an issue as some people have uh, claimed it to be online. So I'm optimistic that they'll they'll get it under control. But um, early early signs are pointing to um, yeah the, maybe a maybe a wait situation if you're not uh, you know 
chomping at the bit to get back into Ocarina of Time or anything like that. Yeah, I think the the biggest um, complaint I've seen so far is the the fogging. Mm-hmm. So the Nintendo Switch, or I'm sorry, the Nintendo 64, these games had fog built in because it couldn't load in, you know, the the, the polygons quick enough. So yeah. to hide some of the pop in, if you look out on the horizon of pretty much any game, there's a certain level of fog. And the developers knew it at the time. They worked it into the games themselves as as you know, a part of the game. And in the Nintendo Switch Online version of the 64 games, they've stripped out some of the fog. So on Mario Kart, for example, uh, you can see through fog in places where it used to hide parts of the level or shortcuts and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, It sounds like it's worth looking at just to kind of see how bad those games look without their, you know, original. What I like about that anecdote is it definitely shows you the creative ways that they you know navigated hardware limitations in the past um and why that stuff is so important you know removing that is is meant to show you know look we can do draw distance now we can we can have things popping better but really it just shows all the cracks that were uh, you know hidden in earlier versions of the game the story of nintendo's entire like video game career right like working around hardware limitations yeah yeah (laughs) um so i want to talk about uh, a couple things before we jump into you know the big discussion for this week um i mentioned this to you i I texted you uh earlier today about uh pikmin bloom right uh this new um augmented reality uh, nintendo phone game that's coming out uh like pokemon go style but with pikmin have you have you looked into this yet? Have you had a chance to to take a peek? No, okay. I All the right. only the only looking into it I did was I saw your text and I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know anything about Pikmin, so no, you you don't understand. It's fantastic. I can't wait for it. I'm very excited for this. You get to walk around. You know, uh, I don't do a lot of walking. I don't do a lot of exercise. That's not you know that's not a thing I want to do. But uh, when Pokemon Go came out, I spent hours days weeks uh you know walking around the city trying to find you know new pokemon like hunting down gyms doing all you know i did the whole thing uh but right i lost interest pretty quickly now we've talked last week about my obsession with games like harvest moon right apparently in pikmin bloom the whole thing is you walk around and essentially plant a garden while you're walking you find new pikmin you gather up new monsters right and uh, populate your your path with, you know, flowers and, and blooms and things like that. And it looks like the silliest, most relaxing, you know, way to get me outdoors and actually doing some activity. And I think, you know, I, I think it's going to be uh, a big hit for Nintendo. Looks like a lot of fun. You know, it, it still surprises me how active people are on Pokemon Go. You know, I, I think Nintendo's really got something with this augmented reality uh, mobile app stuff. You know, it's it's a little bit different than um, the Mario Kart mobile game. Yeah, that's you know, it's whatever or Super Mario Run or whatever. The, these augmented reality games are are really filling a niche for them. I think it's really cool. I think it's um, I was, you know, a weird week I I suppose to announce um such a bright and bubbly game, such a a, a you know a very quintessential Nintendo experience, um, but I think uh. 
probably one of the coolest things they've done in a while. I know people are kind of hit or miss on on phone games and um, you know things like Pokemon Go and and all that, but um, I think largely Nintendo does a pretty good job with these kinds of uh, apps, and and it's something I'm definitely looking into uh, checking out as soon as it goes live. I, you know, as of the time of recording, it hasn't quite um, you know gone live yet, so we'll we'll have an update once I've spent you know too much of my uh, upcoming week walking around the city uh, planting flowers but do a review of it for the website yeah already planning on it i'm gonna do a it'll be a walking video review of me uh you know walking around the park for four hours it's gonna be a four hour long uh, video review of pikmin bloom so be looking for that on uh, nintendo watcher in the upcoming weeks all right true or false pokemon go is installed on your phone right now uh absolutely true it's still there <laughs> I haven't opened it in a long time, I'll be honest, but it's still there uh, in case I ever get the urge. I've, I've, I've still got it on mine, too. I've got a really, really um, strong um, Blastoise on there. I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty proud of. I'm just glad it's not like uh, Tamagotchi or anything like that, because all of my Pokemon would be dead right now. Um, so at least there's that. I don't have to worry about, you know, caring for them. Um, but speaking of, you know, uh, Sim games... For example, uh, another pretty big announcement this week, uh, you know, early in the week, we, we got confirmation of, uh, you know, uh, Concerned Apes upcoming Stardew Valley, uh, I, I'm not going to say sequel, but, uh, you know, spiritual successor, I guess, would be the best way to put it. It looks like a sequel. It looks, I mean, I don't know if you spend a lot of time looking at the, the trailers or the screens and stuff, but... Um, Haunted Chocolatier. What are your thoughts? You excited? Yeah, yeah. I I love Stardew. And just from the the trailer that the developer um, shared on his website for this game, it looks kind of like an HD version of Stardew. Yeah. uh, Some some of the the textures and stuff look look just so much more detailed than Stardew. And, you know, Stardew has... It's SNES aesthetic, and and it was charming, you know, in its own way, and, and this is too. But it just it looks so much more polished. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This is sort of jumping into the meta of the game, but I was really interested that uh, he is self self publishing this game, not mm-hmm. going through Chucklefish this yeah. time around. Um, so I'm wondering what that's going to do, just in terms of. Uh, getting the game out there how fast is going to get done if he's not working with you know an outside party to publish it um i mean we could be looking at years from now getting on a chocolate (laughs) here if if, you know it's just like his passion project yeah i think i think we'll see it sooner than um we're expecting i mean he does have a history of slower updates and and you know incremental progress and things like that and then all of a sudden he'll you know come out of nowhere and drop a huge patch that adds multiplayer and you know other uh you know entirely new systems to the games that he creates but um i mean the trailer looks like it's pretty far along and i think the fact that you can tell it's a lot of uh, asset reuse should should mm-hmm. get it out the door a little bit sooner but you know i'm really excited about this this idea of um making chocolate for ghosts um fitting fitting season for this announcement as well um uh, you know heading into uh halloween this week we've got um you know spooky games on the brain i believe uh you know you and i maybe different experiences with horror games with spooky you know games in our past um but i think you know 
this game looks like one that can uh, bridge that gap, right, to, to people that are into that sort of spooky aesthetic but want a more relaxing, laid-back experience to just kind of, uh, you know, get into the Halloween spirit without having to worry about, uh, you know, being scared uh, of the games that they're playing. Yeah, the only sort of concern I have about Haunted Chocolatier, um, I'm concerned about the gameplay loop. Yeah. If you're just making chocolate, uh, you know, how long is it going to take before you're you're getting tired of, of even if you're making something else, how long is it going to take before you get tired of doing that? And, you know, in Stardew, you had all these different types of crops to grow and different seasons. And I'm assuming there will be, you know, some sort of uh, mechanic like that in Haunted Chocolate yeah. Tier. Yeah. I mean, uh, the the thing that I mentioned, and I think if I recall correctly from the trailer, it shows, you know, at one point the 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 hero right uh, goes into like a portal right pops out into some magical world and and you're in you know the mines of Stardew Valley right the combat section the combat encounters and all that gathering up you know fruits veggies animal drops to you know put into the chocolates and things like that but the thing that I'm most excited about is instead of you know the farm now it looks like the the chocolatier uh, you know the the um, the building itself, the, the the mansion where this takes place, um, is going to be like your, you know, your your farm, essentially, right? You get to design the shelves, you get to put together, uh, you know, display cases and different rooms in the building. It looks like it's going to probably have, um, not to mention, uh, I think Stardew Valley has proven that, uh, you know, Concerned Ape knows how to put together some really... Um, interesting compelling gameplay loops from things that should be uh mundane and simple i'm not i'm not too worried i think the pedigree um of the developer kind of you know plus most people just want more stardew valley so is it really going to be that that much of a, a a leap for people yeah that's a good point and and he continued to add to stardew valley and make it better uh, over i think a 10 year span yeah, it's going to be great. Um, I'm excited to hear more about it as we, you know, get some more trailers and information out in the next couple of months or however long it seems to take. But um, that's a that's a day one pickup for you. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I don't pre-order often, but uh, this will be, you know, if there's an option, if there's a, a collector's edition or a you know a little trinket uh, you can get for pre-ordering, it'll be a day one pre-order as well. All right, well, that wraps up our news roundup. Um, when we come back, we're going to start talking about uh, spooky games. What are our favorite spooky games on Nintendo consoles? Which Nintendo console is the best for, for spooky games? Um, and what, what's different about a spooky game versus you know watching a scary movie? So when we come back, we'll dive into all of that. Matthew, Matthew. Yes, Justin. What makes a good spooky game? All right. So I think before we have this discussion, we need to step back a little bit and talk about, uh, you know, aside from what makes a spooky game, um, you know, what makes a spooky Nintendo game, right? Point. I yes. mean, one of the things that 
any good spooky game needs is atmosphere. Uh, you know, just like a spooky movie, though, for me, it's the soundtrack. It's the sound design. Um, I need the game to, uh, you know, cause me to look over my shoulder. I need to be constantly on edge. Um, and then, you know, I'm a sucker when it comes to spooky games for things like jump scares. They get me every time. Um, you know, for me, it it's not hard to scare me. Um, I am easily frightened. Uh, this is I, I am on record as someone who loves spooky games and spooky movies, but is uh, far too easily scared um, and often fails to complete scary games because uh, I get too too anxious. Um, I can I can play in like twenty minute increments and then I have to I have to step away for a while and and, and recharge. Uh, you know, play some Pikmin or something. But um, for me, it's the music. It's it's absolutely the music um, and the sound design. Uh, what about you? What are your what are your thoughts on this? I hate the jump scares. I don't enjoy them. Can't stand them. Don't want anything to do with them. Um, the the spooky games for me, I, and 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 movies to a certain extent too. I I prefer like the psychological thrillers, the ones that you know do make you look over your shoulder. Yeah, um, it, it's not exactly something that's going to jump out and scare you, but something that's going to um or disturb you <laughs> okay so you're not a big fan of like the the grotesque monster design you know the the zombie or mm. the you know the mutant or anything like that that's not really your your kind of uh pace no no I, i'm much more um into the the i was about to say the stuff that can actually happen but i guess you know, <laughs> like, a zombie apocalypse isn't impossible yeah um but like think this is an, a Nintendo game, but just a, a horror game that sticks out to me is uh, Manhunt on the PlayStation 2. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, which is, it's interesting that you point to that game in particular because, you know, that pulls pretty heavily from uh, both, you know, um, the, the you know, gory, you know, slasher genre, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's really its, its inspiration. And then obviously um, the less uh savory you know the snuff film the you know the the stuff that you um like you said uh is always positioned as real scenarios that that people can find themselves in i think of like the hostile movies and stuff like that right where they talk about you know uh things that could actually happen to you when you're on vacation in these these foreign places or or anything like that um so really that's the kind of stuff that gets you if, if I'm going to play a horror game, that, that's what I enjoy. I actually yeah. just bought, um, or I actually pre-ordered Fatal Frame. Yeah, that looks fun. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. If you're not familiar with it, basically you um, are investigating the disappearance of several people who disappear on this mountain called like Mountain, mountain Death or something. Like, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> ominous. Um, but you have a, a camera and your camera is your way of, of, um, fighting off ghosts and stuff. And, and it, it looks like there's going to be a, a ton of jump scares and stuff in it. Yeah. Um, and it's a re-release of, of an older game, a remaster of an older game, but I got that, um, just in spirit of spooky season. Yeah. And I thought I might play it over the weekend. So, um, but that, yeah, th- I think the thing that, that drew me to that game was the, the atmosphere, you know, it looked dark, it looked mm-hmm. scary, it yeah. looked, um, I mean, not necessarily something that's going to happen in real life, but the the camera mechanic looked really cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, that game is 
because that's an interesting example because if i recall correctly you know from looking at uh, trailers and, and screens and stuff like that that game is both third and first person correct mm-hmm. like you control the the avatar the main character in a third person perspective but all of the you know the scares all of the you know the the spooks and the jumps and everything those take place while you're in you know camera mode and looking through this first person lens right is that yep. Okay, so my question then, my follow up to you know what makes a good a good scary game, a good spooky game. What is the thing that kind of draws you in, or the type of you know spooks that you like? Is first person or third person? Which one do you find to be more unsettling? You know, as a general rule, I really don't like first person games yeah. very much. Um, but I think for horror games, first person is much better than a third person perspective third person perspective gives you distance from your character yeah uh it makes you feel a little safer Mm -hmm. even though it can still be scary i know resident evil is going to make it on your list later oh yeah um and you know those those classic games with third person i I think one of the later ones was first person though wasn't it uh seven seven and eight uh they just came out recently, uh, last couple of years. Uh, That's right. Shifted the perspective. We'll talk a little bit more about that later um, when I talk about. It. I mean, they're not Nintendo yet. I mean, they might make it over eventually. But what do you um, think about the first third-person perspective, though? Yeah. So this is because you you when we when we had the idea for this this particular episode talking about you know classic Nintendo scary games and and you know how Nintendo has traditionally fared with this genre. Um, we also had the conversation about what makes, you know, a, a game scary as opposed to like watching a movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about watching a movie where you, you are able to maintain a sort of distance, like you said, this third person, like the third person video game does, right? Where it creates a distance between you and the events that are happening. Um, that's why, you know, some of the most evocative and scary moments in horror films i think are when they you know the opening of halloween right um you're you're in the eyes of uh mike myers as he's entering the house right you see it from that perspective but your you know your vision is uh sort of tunnel vision constrained you don't know what's going on around you there's some a sort of a sense of both disorientation but also a an, like a claustrophobia of of mm-hmm. being in that experience um and i think about that with the the third person game and i think about that with games you know scary games in general which is even the third person horror game right has a way of um making you feel the experience in a way that other mediums don't especially you know uh, film does a pretty good job with this in some respects, but there's always that that distance. Um, what do you make of this? Is this something that you've experienced? I mean, do you do you like to play a horror game, even though you're not big on you know jump scares and stuff? Like that? Is this something that you enjoy, or is it more of a um, like a stressful, anxiety inducing experience? I think it's a it's a time and place kind of thing for me. Um, you know, like this time of year, it I get in the mood for it. Mm-hmm. But I think what you were saying earlier about just the, like what makes it different than a, than a movie. I think the thing for me that makes it the most different is, you know, when you're watching a movie and you don't want your protagonist to go into the house. Yeah. 
but you can't stop them. Mm -hmm. In the video game, you know, you are controlling them. You are deciding to go into the house or you can, you know, uh, take your time and do side quests or whatever. <laughs> you know, you, you don't have to go in. There's there's something about the the horror video game that pushes you forward that mm-hmm. you know, you have to make this stuff happen. It's interactive. Um, you know, at a certain level you can't avoid the terror anymore. Right. And I don't know, I think that's powerful because you know, just in a different way than than movies are. In a movie, you know, you're you're along for the ride. It's a little bit like a like an amusement park ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with video games, you know, you're still obviously safe, but you know, you're in control of that character. Yeah. You're making these bad decisions that mm-hmm. you, know, you wouldn't normally make, or not. Yeah. There's something about that, that, like what you were saying, which is like the amusement park analogy of of being on like the roller coaster as it you know takes you from scene to scene. Um, you know, you, you don't get to control, uh, where it stops and where it, you know, picks up or, or, or makes the turn. But there's something about the, the realization that, that, that realization that you are the one in control, that you are the one being forced to make these decisions that makes every single move, every single, you know, enemy you encounter, every single room you approach, uh, feel far much far heavier uh on 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 the mind than than the film right than watching a movie um you know i mentioned this already but my thing is after about 30 minutes to an hour i have to get up i have to leave the room i can't you know really tense experiences like that there's something about being in control of the character knowing that if i make the decision to move into the next room i'm the one who created the you know the the jump scare right that that gets me or the you know if i make a bad decision with my inventory management and i forget to pick up you know uh, a healing herb somewhere back in you know in, in the original resident evil um when i get encounter you know into an encounter with tyrant later on um and i you know take that final hit that was my fault right i did that i was the one who you know created the situation in which uh, my character's demise occurs right mm-hmm. uh, there's something about that responsibility uh, that i don't like yeah you know in horror movies you know your your protagonist is probably gonna survive yeah and in video games you're gonna die a lot uh-huh yeah yeah um i that's i think that really is for me the the big difference and why um i have a collection of you know 50 plus horror games across different you know consoles and and pc and everything and i've maybe completed five of them Mm -hmm. um about that about that how do you tend to play a horror game you you mentioned earlier that you know there's the the rush through and just get past it approach or there's the slow methodical room by room you know delay the inevitable as long as possible do you have an approach when it comes to horror games I delay the inevitable in every game, uh, you know. Yeah, I have to check every room. I have to talk to every NPC. Uh, you're shaking your head. No, nope, uh-uh. not you. That's not why me. it takes me so much longer to cha- finish games than well, it takes you. <laughs> I just mean horror games specifically in this case. I can't. I can't do it. I can't. I have to get through. I'm. Uh, I think. Um, so, 
my my anecdote about this is is you know uh, Resident Evil the the GameCube version right um we'll talk a little bit more about this in a little bit you know I'll I'll go into detail on on some of my favorites and and all of that but the GameCube version of that game came out and you know it took the the really blocky pixelated you know PS1 version and really upscaled the graphics redid uh the man the mansion you know uh brought some new life to the series um and in many ways is you know the best version of that first resident evil game um i played that game on easy um i wanted to be able to one shot every zombie i encountered i didn't want to run out of bullets i wanted to be able to save as often as i needed to and i sprinted through that experience um it's like the only game you can speed run. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I I was you know in and out of of uh, you know Raccoon City within like I think uh, three hours my first playthrough because I just I had to get out of there. Um, I loved it, right? But there's something about a scary game that just does not. Uh, you know, I can't spend a lot of time there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. I I like to take my time and and never finish games. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> that's fine that's that, a fine that, that, approach as well yeah that, that's kind of my mo <laughs> um I, th- I think the other thing about um horror games in general mm-hmm. you know we talked about being in control of the protagonist making decisions or not making decisions managing your inventory um i, I think the other thing is um it's harder for a horror game to be a communal experience like compared to yeah. um, watching a movie, you can watch a movie in a theater with a lot of other people and experience these, these you know, uh, chills together and something you can laugh about later. Mm-hmm. Really not that way with most horror video games no. that are, you know, single player. This is just, you know, the, the, the killer is just going to, or the zombie or whatever it is, it's just going to live in the back of your mind for the next week or so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think about that too with, with Resident Evil and I think about... Um, you know, uh, the, the multiplayer modes in, in some of those games, you know, the mercenaries, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's something that I think, you know, most developers recognize right away, which is that once you take a horror game and you put a multiplayer spin on it, you remove most of the horror from the experience. Um, I think the game that maybe maintains that, that horror best is something like Dead by Daylight. Where you have, you know, uh, a single player playing a killer and then maybe some survivors that have to try to evade or escape, you know, this this individual. But the second you team people up, right, and give them the means to fight back, right, um, as a group, most of the horror gets dispelled out of a game like that. And so I think that once you bring multiplayer into the experience, um, the best spooky games are the ones that go maybe a little bit silly. Mm-hmm. with the experience um i think this is probably a good time to segue into some of our favorites uh, you know spooky games horror games just uh spooky aesthetic games um uh you know throughout nintendo's history because i know you've got uh one in particular that you're a pretty big fan of of, of recent uh origin um that is more on the you know the silly side of things you know a classic nintendo franchise but um i want to talk a little bit about you know some of the favorites what we like about them and some of the 
you know, history of Nintendo and spooky games. Um, so, so why don't we, uh, why don't we get into that right now? Um, you know, Justin, what are, you know, if you have to pick spooky games, if you're going to play, you know, pick up a, a game and play it for a couple hours and, you know, uh, just dive into that, that Halloween aesthetic, what are you, what are you going for? Yeah, I've got two picks. Um, and I know, I know your list is a little longer than mine because I'm not super into these games, but two picks. Uh, the first one's my nostalgic pick, and it's uh, Doom 64. Yeah, great game. Great. Uh, not exactly a horror game, but I remember being so freaked out at, at Doom yeah. when I was a kid. Yeah, I think, I mean, it meets the criteria you were talking about, right? The aesthetic is uh, gory, monster-filled right? Mm-hmm. Uh, madness. You've got the solo protagonist in the first person perspective um a a very pulse pounding intense soundtrack i mean what did you like you know what what about it sticks out to you most out of out of all those things that that i just listed what is it that really kind of drew you into doom 64 yeah it was that first person perspective i think it might have been the first game i ever saw with a first person perspective yeah not 64 but going back to the original doom Mm -hmm. um and it just blew my mind that, you know, you could see the gun in front of you and, uh, you know, you've got these demons attacking you and it just really freaked me out. Do, do you remember all the satanic, um, like, like iconography and stuff in that game? Like, oh it was yeah. Over the top now, but it, it was very nineties. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, those, uh, the guys at id software, um, you know, the original, the group, you know, John Romero, especially, um, you know, they they loved uh you know the i think the um you know drawing the ire of the you know uh the conservative christians uh, of the time uh big fans of of kind of hoarding controversy um and yeah i think uh i was surprised that you know doom 64 even existed because of all that <laughs> Yeah, that that's exactly what I wanted to talk about too. But before we get to that, you mentioned something earlier that I never really thought about in a horror game until this conversation. But it, it makes a lot of sense for Doom inventory management. Yeah, that has to be one of the biggest scariest things mm-hmm. about a horror game, and that's definitely true for Doom. You know, you you go in to fight a boss or fight a mini boss, and you're a little beaten up you know, you might not find any uh, health boxes or, yeah. or um, potions or anything in that room. I mean, you're, you're sort of on your own and depending on, you know, wherever that last save state was, you could be doing some backtracking. It's, um, you know, knowing that you're wholly responsible for this protagonist and, and you may waste, you know, a decent amount of, mm-hmm. a decent chunk of time because you didn't manage your inventory well, um, yeah, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that before, but that that makes a lot of sense for a lot of the games we've got on our list here. Yeah, I think that's something that horror developers picked up on pretty early, which is, you know, a lot of games sort of pride themselves on accessibility of resources, right? Like you can, you know, you never have to worry in a JRPG, you never have to worry about really running out of potion or, you know, you just grind for a bit and you go to the you know, shop, you buy up 99, you know, high potions and you're good for, you know, the foreseeable future. There's no real risk of running out of Phoenix Downs in a Final Fantasy game. Uh, you don't have, like somebody who's done that before. 
Yeah, well, you know, no, I'm actually a a a, a hoarder, and I will I will save up every elixir um, I ever get in a Final Fantasy game, and then get to the end boss and still not use them because I'm afraid that I'll need it later. Um, but in a horror game, I think that's you know I think Resident Evil is probably the um, you know the big one. So we'll go just over to my list for a second, which is Resident Evil. That series is you know a classic. Um, you know even even the Silent Hill series, which we only got a couple of those on the oh, yeah, uh, on Nintendo consoles, but um, those games really understood the anxiety of needing to make decisions about what you carried right uh you know you had to strike a balance between offense and defense right do you take the green herb uh to maybe heal yourself if you get into an encounter with a a zombie dog or do you grab that extra you know pack of of ammo because you've just ticked over to a second you know uh, a second uh box uh in your inventory worth of of bullets um and those kinds of decisions are i mean later you know resident evil games um, gave the option to store a lot more to access your inventory in any of the save spots that you ended up in um, but for a long time it was if you drop something it was gone mm-hmm. if you didn't pick something up it disappeared like you had to make decisions about you know the way that you played and the way that you experienced the game and any you know negative result of you you know having poor inventory management was your own fault it's been a long time since i played a resident evil game but the thing that i remember the most about the first one was never having enough ammo no you never did (laughs) never like no matter where you were even at the beginning of the game Mm -hmm. you have never enough ammo to to kill everything that that was coming after you yeah i mean and it creates this tension that is you know unrivaled in in most games and i think um you know for me that's what was so creative about these games that i mean you look at the original resident evil and it looks cartoony it looks silly it's not a scary looking experience especially coming at it from you know now right Mm -hmm. having experienced you know current gen graphics and some of the scarier games that have come out in the you know the decades since but there even still you know the original playstation one with the tank controls and the um, inventory management and the nigh unkillable you know zombies on higher difficulties and things like that creates just a fantastically tense atmosphere talk a little bit about how you think the camera in that original Resident Evil contributed to that? Because it was a, a fixed camera, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, more cinematic than a yeah. traditional video game. And that, that was something that always stuck out to me about those games. What do you make of that? So that's something that to me, um, I, you know, we've talked about the first versus third perspective, you know, third person perspective. I think that's a, another perspective in and of its own right. right? Obviously, it was largely a a decision of the limitations at the time, right? Um, you know, it was harder to control a camera and stuff before. Um, I think the original Resident Evil came out before the Dual Shock was released. I think you're um, right. You're right. So we no, didn't. No, no, I know you're right. Yeah. So we didn't have the analog controls to you know quickly swivel the camera around. Um, you know, it was easier for the game to load if it didn't have to account for all of that, right? The the 
environments could be more detailed and richly designed. But the addition is you can strategically hide scares, right? I mean, you could have a zombie who's just off screen and you hear him when you come in the room, but there's no way to see him until he comes out from the doorway to your left that was, you know, blocked by the camera or pulls out from under the stairwell that you can come you couldn't see because you came in the room from a different direction. And they make great use of shadows with that camera too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's just like more games should, especially horror games, should take control of the player's perspective um, more often. I think it's one of the things that when done well is uh, you know, it's that thing we were talking about with movies, right? Sometimes the director knows how to get the scare better than the player does, right? Mm-hmm. And so being able to take control of the camera while still giving the player control over the, you know, the character and the actions um, can be a really effective way to kind of build suspense and tension. I know anytime um, some level of control is taken away from you in a horror game, Right, it ramps the tension up very quickly. Um, it's like that claustrophobia you were talking about earlier. I can't look around. I can't see what's yeah. going on around me. And you know, sometimes the things that you don't see are scarier than what you do. Yeah, absolutely. That was the whole idea behind Jaws, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so we're already over on my list. We'll do. Let's do. You know, one more uh, before we jump back to yours. I want to stay on the more like, you know, general horror games a before, little bit. Before we get to your next one, yeah. Um, let, let, let's just tie a bow around my first one and your first one. Yeah. Um, so again, my first one was Doom 64. Mm-hmm. Um, not the original Doom, just the one that came to Nintendo. Um, the Nintendo 64. Yours was the first Resident Evil. The GameCube edition, yeah. The GameCube edition. The GameCube remake is, uh, again, i fond of both. I think the GameCube remake is still the superior it's the superior version of it. It's kind of the definitive Resident Evil one. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I, I just wanted to call attention to that because we're going to swing back around and talk about horror on Nintendo consoles yep. specifically when we wrap up our list. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, you know, well, let's, let's start that conversation now, I suppose. I think it's fine to, you know, the next ones that we all have, these are um, our next three items are nintendo exclusives right uh, for the most part I, mm-hmm. I should say one of mine uh, eventually went elsewhere but it was it, it is intimately tied to uh, nintendo hardware and and this is what i want to to kind of get to which is nintendo doesn't have the biggest track record with horror games um you know i was doing some research for this episode and trying to look back at the list of like exclusive horror games that nintendo ever uh you know released and the list is very small yeah um as far as exclusives go and uh you know it gets a little bit broader when you look at ports and things like that but um there's entire generations where you know you'd be hard pressed to find a true horror game yeah and so so much of that comes back to Nintendo's family-friendly image, right? Mm-hmm. Like they didn't want to put anything super scary on one of their consoles to scare away, you know, the kids that enjoyed Mario yeah. or, you know, the grandparents who bought Wii Sports or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so with that in mind, there were still a few, yeah. um, but 
I wonder if it had more to do with um, developers wanting to make uh, more demanding horror games, horror games that were more detailed mm-hmm. than Nintendo consoles could do at yeah. the time. Um, what, do you, what do you think? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so this brings me to kind of my, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of go on a little bit of a tangent about Nintendo's history here um, and, and go back all the way to the Super Nintendo before I answer that question, which is, I think about the Super Nintendo versus the Genesis, right? That generation of, of games. And, um, you know, Mortal Kombat, for example, mm. right? Um, the Back in that era, Sega was where you went for your mature games, right? That's where you had the blood and the viscera and the gore and all of that stuff, right? You could get your M-rated games over on your, your Sega Genesis. And... Many of those games would come to the Super Nintendo, but Nintendo was pretty notorious for asking for edits to um, anything that might be seen as too violent, right? Um, and I think that was a, a, you know, a position that they held through the uh, Nintendo 64, for sure, right? Very yeah. few. Um, I can't really name a horror experience on the N64 that I remember. Um, I mean, very few M-rated games at all. Yeah. Horror, Doom 64 is kind of the one, right? As far as the N64 goes that I can think of. Um, and then something happens um, at the time of the GameCube. Um, I don't know what it was about the GameCube. I don't know if it was the slow start to sales that it got that, that you know, um, got Nintendo to eventually shift gears a little bit. I don't know if it was... Um, the fact that, you know, they knew that their user base was growing up with them a little bit, or if they just wanted to try, you mentioned, you know, one of the things about horror games is oftentimes a really good horror game, um, tries to push, you know, the limitations of a system, right? Tries Mm -hmm. to do new, interesting things with the genre. And I think about one, like I said, Capcom came in strong again for Nintendo with the GameCube. I think still you can get just about every Resident Evil that was released at the time um, on the GameCube, right? Um, remakes so, yeah. or remasters uh, made their way over there. Um, and for many, the best and, and still favorite Resident Evil, Resident Evil 4, was originally designed for, you know, it, it started out with, a, I believe, a plan for the PlayStation ecosystem, shifted uh, to the GameCube and was initially released there as an exclusive for about six months. That's right. Um, and is considered by many to be the best Resident Evil ever created, right? Um, what do you think about that? I think it, it it makes a strong case. It's one of the best games ever created. Um, and the fact that it came out on the GameCube, right, says something about, uh, you know, Nintendo and their, their approach. Um, and let's just point out, disc-based. Those games were yeah. disc versus cartridge. For- yeah, this was this was you know the the console where Nintendo was maybe trying to come back into you know the GameCube didn't do a whole lot of of gimmicky things that some of the previous ones. I mean that controller is still the most baffling thing Nintendo ever released. Um, you know controller wise, well other than the power glove, but um, you know I think about that and then I think of you know uh, a, a little game called Eternal Darkness. Uh, I don't know if you ever played this game or if you remember it much, um, but it was kind of Nintendo's flagship horror game, 
uh, you know. I never played it. I remember the the you know trailers and and sort of the hype around it, but I never played it. Yeah, I mean, it it drew heavily from uh, you know Resident Evil, Silent Hill, those games. Um, but it but it it instead of you know emphasis on you know zombies and monsters and things like that, it had those. It absolutely did. Its focus was on psychological horror, right? It was on fear and atmosphere over, you know, pure, you know, uh, you know, anxiety of being chased or pursued or, you know, relentlessly assaulted by, you know, creatures that you didn't understand. Um, again, still had all of that, but there was a mechanic in that game that um, they might have been one of the first to include something like this. The only other uh, analog I can think of is um, the Psychomantis fight from the original Metal Gear Solid. Oh, yeah. Um, but they had a system, a sanity system in Eternal Darkness um, that would take control of your game, that would, uh, you know, trick you into uh, having your save file erased, that would, you know... Uh, pull the camera out of your control for a while that would cause weird static and shakes and things on your screen um, and that were meant to make you feel like as your character was experiencing these these unfathomable horrors that your game itself was being uh, manipulated and changed by the experience. Yeah, that kind of like breaking of the fourth wall, you know, from a video game perspective. <sighs> I guess the first time I remember it was Metal Gear Solid uh, with yeah. this like a Manus fight, but I forgot about Eternal Darkness and and that whole weird section. Yeah, I mean, and this this like this was a mechanic that just it it kept showing up in the game in different ways and you know different settings and it the the cool thing about it was it did something with the genre that people hadn't done before. Uh, in video games like we'd seen you know sanity has always played a, a major role in in uh horror right uh playing with people's i mean you go back to lovecraft right um that's kind of what he built his his whole uh mythos on but um this game was a this was nintendo's attempt like first party attempt at a horror game right at a horror franchise and you know, there were rumors for a long time of a sequel and then some of the developers spun off and we're going to make a pseudo, you know, a spiritual successor and it never kind of manifested in any meaningful way. Um, and it still just kind of, uh, you know, holds as one of the, the most unique uh, horror experiences out there. And it was on the GameCube, right? A system that, you know, uh, for a, a company that had long uh, you know, abandoned horror games, right? Had had made a, a career of, of more lighthearted fare. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The GameCube was a, in many ways, like an experimental console for Nintendo. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the dipping their toe into the horror genre, yeah. um, you know, as publishers, but but just also as as makers of the console for um, games like like resident evil and and some other capcom's other scarier games uh, yeah all all happened right there on that console yeah so let's talk about your last game on your list all right so this one i'm not going to spend a ton of time on i've already uh you know you know held the floor for too long with this discussion but um i want to you know come back to the wii u uh, a beloved console of, of mine that got you know uh short shrift for being too similar in name to the wii 
and too weird for most people to, to you know dip into but there was a launch game for this system by uh, i believe it was uh, ubisoft uh, created this game it was called zombie u right a, a standard uh, wii u naming convention to uh, just tack a u on the end of your game uh, if it ended in an i um and this game was you know, I still think that the Wii U was at its best when it thought of itself as a a um, you know a console-sized 3DS, right? Mm-hmm. That was when when it was the best when it really leaned into that weird chunky gamepad that it had, um, and this game perhaps did it better than most other games that ever you know came out on the Wii U, with the exception of maybe Breath of the Wild, which I think is still. Um, I still think the Wii U is the best version of that game and the one that everyone should play just because of the pad integration. But um, Zombie U was a survival horror game with permadeath. Um, you played a survivor in London trying to, you know, escape the zombie apocalypse. When you died, um, you know, it pulled heavily from Dark Souls. Your corpse would become a zombie you would have to go back to the location you originally died at and kill your previous self to get your inventory items back. Um, you could leave messages for other players scrawled on on walls. You could um, use the gamepad for inventory management, so like Resident Evil-style inventory management, because again, this was a survival horror game. You had to manage your inventory, you had to scrap for weapons and scrap to create new weapons. Uh, and then you had to manage the inventory, limited inventory space you had for all of these items. Um, and so it required you to make a lot of decisions. You could also use the gamepad as an environmental scanner. On top of being a map, you could pick it up, put it in front of your face, and scan the environment for hmm. hidden items and objects that you might use for your uh, you know, traversal. And um, it was very scary it was it was it had really good atmosphere it was a really compelling mix of you know um dark souls meets resident evil meets you know uh thinking like um those those sort of survival horror games uh on the pc like rust and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um you know where you're salvaging for things uh, and and building your own materials uh dying light i think is the big one now right it was kind of like a like a proto dying light uh, before dying light existed um a really cool experience a pretty niche game that i don't think a lot of people played because of the platform eventually made its way to some other platforms but stripped of what actually made it good which was that gamepad support yeah it's such a, a weird piece of of hardware that you know for, for some of those games it made a lot of sense mm-hmm. yeah um my final game taking it in a, a little bit of a different direction. But uh, back to your, your GameCube conversation, Luigi's Mansion. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's um, such a fun, spooky game. You know, not scary in, in any, any uh, tr- you know, traditional sense, but just just fun, like, like a Mario scary game. And... If you weren't around or didn't have a GameCube, you might not remember, but Luigi's Mansion was a launch title for mm-hmm. the GameCube. There was no Mario uh, Sunshine whenever the uh, GameCube launched. They Nintendo depended a lot on 
Louise Mansion selling a lot. And I think the first game's a little short. Mm-hmm. And the 3DS game, the the sequel, uh, I mean, it was fine, but you know how I feel about 3DS games. Like, yeah. I, I just I just can't do the, the handheld stuff. The ergonomics were so bad. But Luigi's Mansion 3 on the Switch, just a phenomenal game. Fun. Um, it, it does everything that we talked earlier about horror games doing. Um, it, it, it throws all that out the window for, for like a fun kind of creepy adventure through a hotel and uh you've got the multiplayer component with Gooigi. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah you've got all the, the 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 fun mario characters and and some of the power-ups and um the the uh suction device i can't remember what it's called now but that that's one of the ones that every october i'm like ah maybe maybe i should play luigi's mansion again yeah uh Plus, there's also something just so enjoyable about um, seeing yourself in uh, a horror game protagonist and being constantly afraid of every uh, shadow or noise in the um, experience. I mean, I think Luigi is a very good, uh, you know, um, proxy for the, you know, the cowards out there like like myself who um, would never be able to survive in that mansion um, in, in real life. Um, that's a good point. Do you remember before Luigi's Mansion if they if they gave Luigi that that like personality? I don't remember him being like the the Frady Cat before that, but maybe he was. I mean, I don't think so. I think that really was. I mean, I'm trying to think back to like the cartoons, the original cartoons. He's always just kind of been a, a surrogate, you know, for um, the the player, right? The you know the the backup to Mario, the, you know, the one there supporting Mario on his adventures and things like that. And it wasn't really until Luigi's Mansion that he started to come into his own, uh, you know, as a character. I mean, we started to see them develop some mannerisms and things for him like that in, you know, the Smash Bros. games and some of the Paper Mario, uh, mm-hmm. you know, series and things like that. But I think it was really, you know, the, the Luigi we know today, the one that gets you know, the butt of all the jokes and... Um, and, and everything I think came from Luigi's Mansion. I mean, that's that's as far as I can recall. That is is where we really solidified that that sort of underdog uh, m- mentality that that he's sort of stuck with him for the last couple generations. Yeah, yeah, they've done such a good job of solidifying that that personality for him now. That that whole conversation just made me think how different of a game we would have. And not necessarily a bad game, but a different game we would have if it was Mario's Mansion. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I think um, I think that Nintendo is way more willing to go goofy with their side characters in Mario than they mm-hmm. ever will with Mario. Um, you know, some of the you know the Paper Mario games do some really fun and innovative and interesting things, but they're all relatively you know, straightforward and serious with the exception of, you know, a few, like I said, a few of the Paper Marios. Um, But Luigi, Wario, you know, all of those characters seem to get the more enjoyable side games. I think that, um, you know, the Wario wears, the Luigi's Mansions out there, I prefer those to, you know, most of the spinoffs we get starring Mario. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll take a Luigi's Mansion over, you know, a, a Mario Golf any day. Yeah, yeah. So, sort of in that same vein, I have one honorable mention. Okay. But I'm I'm curious if you have one first. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna seed this one to you. I had three, you know, standards. Well, you know, we'll say Zombie U was my honorable mention. Um, like I said, because it, you know, barely anybody got a chance to play it. We'll we'll tack that one on as my honorable mention. But let's let's hear it. What is your your honorable mention? Okay, I think I think I'm just gonna tee you up here because I know you're gonna go off with this. My honorable mention: Majora's Mask on the 64. Oh man, just Not, the best. Not a traditional horror game in the way that we've been talking about it, but the um, you know, existential dread mm-hmm. <laughs> that comes along with that game, I think, is uh, you know palpable. Oh and yeah, very unlike Nintendo at the time. It's Nintendo's eeriest game still. It's still the one that creeps me out the most. Uh, the side characters in that game are are just the weirdest, most awkward. Um, you know unsettling characters uh that nintendo's ever created i mean the the mask vendor himself too what was that grotesque characters. yeah that that mask vendor his smile still gives me you know nightmares um the the giants the you know the moon itself right all of that just not to mention the conceit of of the game the setup is just so you know that we talked about isolation and the, the role that isolation plays um, in horror. And I think one of the coolest things that Majora's Mask does is it sends you to a, a, a foreign world, right? It strips you of everything that you know, right? It, you know, you lose Epona at the beginning. The ocarina's gone. You're transformed into a Deku scrub, right? Like, it does everything that good horror does, right? Makes you feel, um, you know, out of place, disconnected, alone, right? Frightened, unsure of what's, you know, around every corner. Uh, and then slowly the game builds you back out of that experience, right? And and has you making connections, right? It's all about kind of reestablishing normalcy, right? From mm-hmm. a... a, a, a you know, a, a an ab you know a, a, an abnormal uh, alienating experience, uh, and the you know the the dungeons in that game are dark and ominous. The bosses are very eerie, very uh, you know some of the the like you said some of the 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 scariest and eeriest uh, character design uh, that Nintendo's ever done. I think absolutely a horror game as far as i'm concerned yeah it really takes you down a notch from being the the hero of time yeah in the previous game you know you're not in hyrule anymore yeah um but again you know also probably my favorite zelda um i love that experience um all right well then if that's what we're talking about i think um the other one uh you know my my curveball honorable mention is um the metroid prime games um, I was wondering if Metroid was going to make its way <laughs> because of that same thing we were talking about that isolation that that sort of you against un you know insurmountable odds um foreign planets things like that like it reminds me of like uh, an alien movie or something like that right um Super Metroid even uh you know mm-hmm. that experience is pretty unsettling for large portions. I mean, you're deep underground by yourself with no communication with the outside world. There's these, you know, uh, unholy, you know, creatures, you know, hunting you down. Um, 
you know, there's the claustrophobia we talked about. I think, um, you know, atmosphere wise, the Metroid games, and I think the prime games with that first person perspective, um, you know, and the just, uh, you know, emptiness of those worlds. Right. Um, and and when I say emptiness, I just mean like no other people. Right. And just Mm -hmm. the ruins of ancient Chozo civilization, stuff like that all builds that anxiety, that pressure. And I remember as a kid, um struggling with the first metroid prime because you know again that same thing just not knowing what was going to be behind the next door or what kinds of scary creatures i was going to encounter really you know put me on edge for for large portions of playing through that game Uh, yeah and again and stripped away of all of your your power-ups um and when when you when you first meet um samus and, and some of those games she's super powerful and then you know pretty quickly loses it all yeah and you have to rebuild yourself. So yeah, that, that isolation is definitely a, a huge component there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also just you're sort of helpless initially. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think, you know, that probably wraps it up for us on, on spooky game week. Uh, you know, we're going to jump away for a minute. Uh, you know, when we come back, we'll talk game recommendations of the week. and We'll wrap up for, for now. we're back uh coming to the end of the the halloween week uh getting ready to jump into some spooky gaming for the weekend um justin what are you playing right now what are you recommending to the the listeners this week Uh, stick with me here kind of a weird one so this weekend i mentioned this earlier but um just in case you missed it i'm gonna be playing uh fatal frame yep comes out this week um, a remake of, of, of an older game. It, it looks really good. Hopefully it, it plays well now uh, on the Switch. So that's what I'm going to be playing this weekend. Um, as far as recommendations go, we, we've talked about this off, um, off, off the recording, but um, I'm getting into Tales of Arise on my Xbox. Okay. Unfortunately, not available on the Switch yet. I've, I've got hopes, but after seeing a little bit of it, I'm not sure that the, the Switch could do it. So I'm not going to suggest that game. I'm going to suggest Tales of Vesperia, the previous yeah. Tales Up game. Really good. Uh, you know, a, a lot different just in terms of how the combat plays um, and and how the, the the world looks, but still a really really solid jrpg set in that that tales franchise yeah great suggestion um and if you have a gamecube uh go even further back and pick up tales of symphonia uh probably my favorite in the in the series an old classic um yeah great recommendation uh for me i don't have um you know a strong recommendation for this week um i think i want to lean into uh an older game that I, I'd like to recommend if you have access to it or can pick it up. Um, and that is uh, Zombies Ate My Neighbors for the Super Nintendo. Classic. Uh, classic Halloween game. Um, fun kind of, I don't know, Smash TV-ish kind of top-down shooter. You know, old school uh, 16-bit uh, shooter game, uh, adventure game. Um, co-op. As well, 
worth picking up if playing. I think it's on some of the. It may actually be uh, accessible via the the Switch these days on the eShop. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. I know that it did get a remake on a on uh, or a re-release recently um, on some modern consoles, but I'm not sure if if Switch was was graced with it. But you can pick up a, an old copy of it for the Super Nintendo, or you own it. Hop into that game, play it, enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, save your neighbors from the zombies. I haven't thought about that game in, like, 30 years. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's an old one. Oldie but a goodie. Um, I, I always think of, like, I don't know why. Uh, maybe just because of the whole neighborhood setting. I always think of uh, Paperboy when I think of that game. Uh, you know, not really the same, but uh, it's the thing that pops into my head. Well... Thanks for joining us this week. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll be back next week uh, with, with another podcast. In the meantime, uh, check out what we're putting on the website, nintendowatcher.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at Justin M. McGee. Matthew's on Twitter at Crockemeyer Rock. See ya.